morning. Welcome to Barah Ministries, an intimate local Christian church with worldwide impact. My name is Pastor Rory Clark. At Barah Ministries, we make a difference by teaching the Word of God from God's perspective and not from man's perspective. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 9 says this, Just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts, says the Lord. Comfort comes from hearing the Word of God as the Lord intended. So welcome to the lesson. At Barah Ministries, we know this truth, that Jesus Christ is God. As Lord, he is 100% deity. He is God the Son, a member of the triune Godhead. He's also 100% human, just like you and me. And his name is Jesus Christ. The Lord, God the Son, became flesh, Jesus Christ, and lived among us. He is the uniquely born one, 100% God and 100% man and one person forever. He is the sovereign God of the universe, and he is the Jewish Messiah. The Lord was not sent by God the Father to judge the world, but that the world would be saved through him. He died on a cross to make the only perfect payment for sin in the eyes of God the Father through shedding his blood. And as a result of his victory at the cross, we are fully and forever forgiven of our sins. As those who make Barah Ministries our spiritual home, we are Christians. And being a Christian means we believe in the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have a deep, intimate, and personal relationship with him. You heard it right. Christianity is a relationship, not a religion. And the Lord Jesus Christ is a person. He is not a thing. He is not a concept. He is not the universe. That's an insult. He is the ruler of the universe, but he is a person who is ruling the universe. And just as we do with anyone whom we love, we spend time getting to know the Lord. And since the real way to get to know anyone is by knowing their mind, we study the Bible because it is the mind of Christ. Now, God has an enemy, Satan, the ruler of this world. He's a liar who deceives the whole world. Imagine that, that somebody would rule a kingdom and then lie to everybody in the kingdom that he's ruling. And that deception includes you. He doesn't want you to get to know God, and he interferes with your chance to know God. He's like the uh, TV station, and when it goes off at night, (sighs) always sending a bunch of interference that makes it difficult for you to know God. And it's it's really a shame that that is the case, because a lot of the things that we think about God are really based on incorrect perceptions that were inculcated into our minds through Satan. So, for example, God is a punishing God. God is an unfair God. God's an unloving God. God's a conditional God. All of that is a lie. That's an absolute lie. He does not look at you that way. God's disappointed with us. That's a lie. He doesn't look at us that way. So, really, what we do when we come to Bible study is we get a complete renovation of our thinking where the Word of God comes in and pushes out all the old false concepts that crowd our minds and distort our viewpoint of things. And you know what I'm talking about. You've got friends who, friends who, <laughs> who are always telling everybody how you are, and what they're telling you, telling about how you are, isn't anything like you are. They're not really expressing who you are. They're not really telling what your real intent is or what your motivation is. 
And, you know, so, for example, with a pastor, a lot of times, you know, people will see that that I'm wealthy and they'll say and then I'll say, well, I'm a pastor. And then they'll say, oh, well, he's getting all this money from the church. Yeah, that's not not exactly what's happening. But okay. But just because you said it. The public lie is now in play. And anytime you tell a public lie about somebody, one third of the people believe it no matter what, because people don't think. That's exactly what we see in politics today. You just come out and say Donald Trump's a racist. He's a racist. You say he's a white supremacist. He's a white supremacist. I don't know him. Don't haven't ever met him because you said something about him. I just adopted. Isn't that crazy? But that's what happens. And you know that that doesn't only happen with public figures. That happens with you, too. And most of the people who do that uh, toward you are your family members. (laughs) Isn't that great? Family. All, all, All of that sponsored by Satan, the enemy of God. Well, the word of God is the truth that keeps us aware of these insidious deceptions. And as believers in Christ, we're in union with Christ, and we have the victory over Satan through our Lord, who has overcome the world. Today's Bible lesson, maturity demands unfair sacrifice. Maturity demands unfair sacrifice. Well, this 1 Corinthians, this, uh, this whole study of 1 Corinthians that we're doing has put some serious things in my face. Because, you know, we all of us have the flesh, right? We have this body. It's called the flesh. And it's Satan's inside agent. And it's always telling us these negative things. And one of the things that my flesh has told me for years is that it's really important that things be fair. And the way my flesh tells me that things aren't fair is that it's always telling me that things are unfair. So, for example, when you are a giving and sacrificial person, you get taken advantage of a lot. And so what does the flesh tell you? Well, that was unfair. Well, that was unfair. You shouldn't be treated like that. That's unfair, right? And so we buy into it. And when we buy into it, that's selfish. That's at the core of it, that's what selfishness is. Because God never promised us fair. And he's the demonstration of what it's like to be treated unfairly and not to have it bother him at all. What was fair about a deity humiliating himself by taking on the form of a man, putting himself in subjection to somebody that he was equal to, having to live a perfect life with a 100,000 times the temptations that we have, and then going to a cross to pay for sins he didn't commit? What's fair about that? What's fair about it? And, the, and one of the thieves on the cross said, this, this guy's done nothing wrong. We're hanging here because we stole stuff. This guy didn't do anything wrong, and he's hanging here like he's a criminal. Nothing God did in sacrifice for us was fair. It was all unfair. So we have to learn as believers in Christ who are emulating our God that We're going to be putting ourselves in positions of sacrifice, 
and generosity. And there's nothing fair about it. There's nothing fair about me having to work all day Saturday, study all week, work all day Saturday to write, teach here, and faint, and faint on my couch because I'm tired. There's nothing fair about that. But it's something I want to do. It's not something I have to do. It's something I choose to do. It's so often when we choose to do generous things, when we choose to love people who are mistreating us, there's that little voice inside that says, that's unfair. You shouldn't be treated like that. And my question is why? You've heard me say I'm not a role model. Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 8 changed my mind on that. Because if I'm not a role model, if, not, if I'm not a guide to you in my conduct, then what do you have to look at? I have to be a guide to you in my conduct. I can't just do whatever I want because I have freedom. That's what we learned in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. That, that bummed me out. <laughs> when I realized that, that bummed me out. Like, ow, man. And so what do you think I said right after I realized that? That's unfair. (laughs) And the Lord said, show is. Don't report for duty if you don't want to do the job. Okay. So anyway, today's Bible lesson, maturity demands unfair sacrifice. That's what that means. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, the Apostle Paul introduces the idea that the mature must forego certain freedoms for the benefit of the immature. That's not fair. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 13 says this, Therefore, if food causes my brother, a fellow believer in Christ, to stumble, I, Paul, will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause my brother to stumble. The mature make unfair sacrifices for the immature. And even though it was Paul's right to eat, he didn't. The Lord sacrificed in an even greater way by foregoing his right as deity for the sake of all mankind. Philippians chapter 2 verse 8 says this, Being found in appearance as a man, the Lord humiliated himself. The Lord, God the Son, humiliated himself by being in the form of man as Jesus Christ and by being in submission to God the Father putting himself underneath God the Father in obedience voluntarily to God the Father when he was equal to God the Father, becoming voluntarily obedient to the Father even to the point of death on a cross. That's the ultimate in unfairness that you have to die for someone. And yet he did it. What an amazing God we have. In today's lesson, as we continue our study of the next passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, we'll see what Paul was willing to give up in the protection of the gospel message. And just as we do every month, we'll remember our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ by celebrating the Lord's Supper. And today we'll learn that his work on the cross obliterated worry. Are you worried? Is this something you're worrying about? Well, when you look at the cross, worry no more. All right, so let's hear some music. For those of us who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are secure, always resident in safety, always deriving our courage through him. Psalm 46, verses 1 to 3 say this, God is our refuge and our strength, an omnipresent help in times of trouble. There's nowhere where you are that God isn't. Psalm 46, 2, therefore, 
we, believers in Christ, will not fear anything. Even though the earth should change, and even though the mountains should slip into the heart of the sea. You, you have to agree that not wearing a mask is not the same as a mountain slipping into the sea. Amen? All right, so we don't have it that bad. And see, there's another thing I was really selfish about. I'm not wearing a mask. Well, what is if a mature person says they're not wearing a mask, the immature person says, well, I don't have to wear one either. All right, so why don't we just do what our government is asking us to do? We don't have to like it. But why don't we just do what they're asking us to do? Well, we don't do what they're asking us to do because there's something inside of us that's saying, that's not fair. That's not fair. I shouldn't, have to, I shouldn't have to breathe my own carbon dioxide. That's not fair. And then when your pa- pastor, the idiot, gets up and echoes that, that's not all that smart, is it? Amen? Yeah, you, you said amen way too loud. See, I say I'm not smart, and you say amen way too loud. That hurts me a little bit. I'm not, places I'm not going to tell you about, all right? <laughs> Psalm 46.3, and even though the, the waters roar and foam, all my friends down in Florida are worried about this right now. It's hurricane season. And even though the mountains quake, earthquakes, at its swelling pride, that's what's happening on our earth, swelling pride. Human beings have lost their minds. We are trying to create the perfect world, and every time we've tried to do that, we've failed. Well, no matter what the world throws at us, we're safe in union with the Lord Jesus Christ, and we are loved unconditionally. The group Culture Club says this love, this unconditional love, has a name. What's the name? (laughs) Jesus. Let's listen.
pray. We're grateful, Heavenly Father, for the privilege of studying your absolute truth, the Word of God. Father, thank you for giving us the calmness of the everlasting hills. Thank you for providing mental serenity in the midst of the chaos of this world. Thank you for continuing to prosper us even while others around us are losing everything. Teach us how to be a blessing to those in our periphery. Give us the courage to lead them to a relationship with Christ so they can share in our peace. We ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit, in Christ's name. Say it with me. Amen. Amen. Today's Bible lesson, maturity demands unfair sacrifice. Maturity demands unfair sacrifice. Imagine that somebody uh, gave you a dollar bill, brand new crisp dollar bill, and they told you to walk up to a guy who was sitting at a table and to give him that dollar bill, and he was going to make an exchange with you, and that they should come back and tell you what the exchange was he made. So you walk up to this guy, and you said, excuse me, sir, here's a dollar bill, and he takes the dollar bill, looks at it, gives it back to you, and then he gives you a check. And when you go back over to the person who sent you on the original walk, you found out that he gave you a $100,000 check made out to you in your name. Imagine that. That's what Jesus Christ did when he gave us a so great salvation. Only thing is, the Lord didn't fill in the amount. Gave you a blank check. Made out to you. And all you have to do is fill in the amount. See? Is that fair? He didn't even take your dollar. Is that fair? That's not fair, but that's the life that the Lord has given us. And it's the ultimate, in my view, in selfishness when we as Christians don't share that life with other people. And see, that part of us that I'm talking about this morning, that flesh in us, the one who's telling us all the lies about how unfair life is and how mistreated we are and how we're not getting ours, That's the part of us that keeps us focused here and not at all concerned with what's going on with the people around us who are in a panic. The people around us are in a panic. And we've got, you know, books, and you will be saved. We've got different things that we could just hand to people. We don't even have to talk. They just hand it to people. But we're worried that they're going to reject it. They're not rejecting you or it. They're rejecting God. But... Give them a chance. How about we just give them a chance? How about we just give them the book? And maybe they can read. Maybe they don't mind reading books that don't have pictures. Maybe maybe they don't mind reading a book that has some interesting stories in it. Because Annual Be Saved is is really, I think, a well-told story. And I, I think we as believers in Christ need to get a little less selfish. And that, it hit me yesterday when we were, we were doing this presentation in the elders meeting about at, talking about all these ministries that we want to serve. Fatherless boys, single moms, rocky marriages, addicts. That there are a lot of people in this world who have a lot of stuff going on and they just need somebody to put their arm around them and say, hey, it's going to be all right. It's going to be okay. And we're going to say, look, I don't care if you're an addict. Because if I liked alcohol, I'd be an addict. 
I don't like alcohol. I like sugar. <laughs> so I'm a sugarholic. But if I like liquor, if I hadn't had a dad who was an alcoholic, I'd probably be an alcoholic too. Why? Because we're not much, that much different from each other. We got some broken parts. And isn't it un- unbelievable that God loves us anyway with our broken parts? Because we don't think that way of other human beings. Oh, you're broken. You're broken. But I just don't look at people that way. And that's not my fault. It's God's fault because I see him changing me every day. And this word of God that we spend our time every week taking in renovates our thinking. It changes us. And it's, it's taking us from that selfishness pointed inside to uh, extending our love and forgiveness and grace to other people. You know, it just dawned on me that, you know, I'm, I'm working on a book on leadership. And it dawned on me that great leaders are not critics. Because performers don't need any more critics. We don't need any more critics. We need somebody to just put, our, put their arms around us every once in a while and just be a guide. We don't need anybody to criticize us. We're, we're doing a good enough job on our own of criticizing ourselves. The great leaders are guides. And they're not judges. And they don't say, you ought to be doing this and you ought to be doing li- that like we know. They say, look, this is something that has worked for me. Why don't you try it out and see if it works for you? And if it doesn't, there are other things that might work for you. That's it. And, you know, that starts with the role of a parent. You know, parents don't need to be critics of their kids. They need to guide them. And they need to be willing to not be popular. Because when you're guiding people a lot of times, they don't want to do what you're suggesting until it catches on for them that it really works. So maturity demands unfair sacrifice. Deacon Denny came into the elders meeting yesterday with a look of consternation. And only a person who had spent 25 years raising kids could know what that look of consternation was. It's family-related, most likely. (laughs) It's the wife, it's the kids, it's something. (laughs) hey i'm on your side (laughs) i I just want to say hey man keep up the fight keep up the fight because it's a fight you know it's a who who, who was that bob seeger against the wind that's parenting against the wind (laughs) Uh, you know you got you got a kid who's constantly, every time you hear something that could indict you, is looking at you for the indictment. And, you know, it's one thing you had a kid doing that who's a big kid, right? You got, you got a grown son doing it. That's one thing. But then he's got, uh, what, a six-year-old and a three-year-old doing it. Maturity demands unfair sacrifice. Well, the passage under study extends from 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1 to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. And the subject matter has to be investigated as a whole, although we can't teach it that way. We're attacking it verse by verse. 
Now, the last part that we studied was about idle food. And, you know, Paul was saying, look, we have the right to eat idle food as mature people because we know that there's no such thing as an idol. But a lot of the immature people here in the Corinthian church just came out of pagan worship and they're still connected to pagan worship and they're new to this thing called Christianity. So if they look at us and say, okay, here's the mature Christian and he's eating idol food, which I think is being dedicated to an idol, which he thinks is nothing, but I don't know that. It's okay for me to emulate that. Well, it really isn't because that causes our brother to stumble. And as, the mat- as mature people, we don't want to do anything that causes our brother to stumble because we remember that the Lord said, whatever you do to the least of them, these brothers of mine, that you do unto me. If you cause somebody to stumble, I'm not all that high on that. So now as we move out of chapter 8 and the subject of idol food, we're going to move to chapter 9 where Paul starts talking about pastors getting paid and you're going to think wait a minute what just happened how do we go from studying idol food to talking about pastors getting paid they connect and so the two words that would help you understand chapter nine are for example all right so because in chapter eight he's saying look you mature people you have freedom to do some stuff But you need to forego that freedom every once in a while for the benefit of the mature, so you don't, for the benefit of the immature, so you don't cause them to stumble. And now Paul goes into chapter 9, which is a for example. And we're not going to study this today, but I want you to hear it so that you'll know what we're going to study next week. All right, so for example, so what Paul is talking about is his rights, because he's a free guy and he has rights. And what he's going to talk about is. Okay, do I have the right to eat idle food? Yeah, I've got some other rights too. Let me tell you what my rights are. So what does he say? Let's begin at 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 1. Am I not free? Yes. Am I not an apostle? Yes. Haven't I seen Jesus our Lord? Yeah. Jesus knocked him off his high horse. He became a Christian, and then Jesus took him out into the desert for three or four years to train him so that he could become the apostle to the Gentiles. Yeah, he's seen the Lord. As a matter of fact, a requirement of being an apostle is that you have to have seen the Lord Jesus Christ in his resurrected form. So anybody who who, who claims to be an apostle has to have seen the Lord Jesus Christ in his resurrected form. Now, there are certain religions, I won't mention them because I don't want to offend anybody, the Mormons, <laughs> who have apostles in their church. Did they see the Lord Jesus Christ? Maybe if, maybe if they had enough alcohol. But no, they didn't see the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a requirement of being apostle. 1 Corinthians 9, 1 continuing. Are you Corinthians, not my work in honor of the Lord? Yep. So this is what Paul, I love Paul does this. He indicts people with questions because questions always demand answers. And all of these questions are yes. 1 Corinthians 9, 2. If to others I am not an apostle, 
And there are a lot of people who are criticizing me as not being an apostle because I wasn't one of the original apostles. You know, I was the replacement apostle for Judas Iscariot. So a lot of people say I'm a pretender. At least I'm an apostle to you because I started this church. You are the seal. What is the seal? The signature guarantee that I am an apostle to the Lord. And for those of you who are new age people and not female, let me tell you what a seal is. In the old days when you mailed stuff, you know the stuff you guys call snail mail? And women still do this, which is beautiful. When women write a little personal note, they spray perfume all over the envelope. (laughs) And then they melt wax on the back of the envelope where the... You know, you after you lick it and you put it down, they drip this wax on and then they have a little device and they press the device on and it may have on there their initials or a heart or something hallmark, you know, because women keep hallmark in business. Amen. <laughs> every time women start something new in their life, which is every other week, they go get one of those little books from Hallmark with the little tabs in them and stuff and all that foo-foo stuff. <laughs> Vita said, that ain't me. I don't do none of that. (laughs) I go to the dollar store. (laughs) I don't think there are. But you can get them at Target. But Hallmark cards are expensive. It's like five or six bucks. I'm going to the dollar store. You just know if I get you a card, it came from the dollar store. Amen. I ain't paying five dollars for nobody's car. (laughs) So anyway, they would use this sealing wax to seal the letter, and that's what's being talked about here. Uh, Paul is saying, if to others I'm not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship. Signature guarantee. That's what a seal is. 1 Corinthians 9.3. My defense to those who are criticizing me, that's what he means by examining me, is this. 1 Corinthians 9.4. Do we not have a right to receive support so we can eat and drink? Okay, there it is. Somebody told me recently that I, as a pastor, shouldn't be taking money for being a pastor. Okay, well, and and I told you I get $400 a week, right? All right, but it was 19 years before I started taking $400 a week, right? No, it's not good. And I didn't change until I read this passage. One time I read this passage and I said, well, don't I feel like a jerk? Because the Lord is saying, hey, if you are working and you're not taking something for it, you're kind of a jerk. Right? In the the Lord's plan, that's the way he kind of looks at it. That you have the right to have it. Yet, I chose not to exercise the right. And it's my right to not exercise the right that I have. How cool is that? Somebody got mad at me. So I think for the first 15 years, I was the primary support for this ministry. I was given a lot of money to the ministry just to be able to have the ministry. And I had a couple of young deacons, and I would buy them clothing so that they could look presentable as deacons and so that they could also use the clothing to look good in their career. And there were people who were critical of me and saying that I was mismanaging 
the ministry's money. Right? It was my money. It's my ministry and my money, and it's God's ministry. We know that. But it was my money, and I was intentionally giving the money to be able to provide them with that. And people are on my case about it. You know why? It's unfair. Because everything a pastor does is wrong all the time. Pastors should be this. Pastors should be that. Pastors should be this. All the stuff that no pastor could ever be, that's what we should be. And then if we were that there'd be another whole set of things that we should be. And we know that. You know that because your friends do that to you. They say, if you just do this, I would like you a whole lot. And then when you do this, they move the stick. It's always that way. And so pastors have to engage in an unfair sacrifice. And if you don't get that as a pastor, if that's not okay with you as a pastor, then you shouldn't be a pastor because that's what's going to happen. So Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 9, 4, don't we have a right to receive support so we can eat and drink? And the answer is yes. 1 Corinthians 9, 5, do we not have a right to take along a believing wife? Yes, Paul had the right to marry. He didn't marry. He was single and celibate, but he had the right to marry. But here's the, here's the beautiful thing. Even like the rest of the apostles and the brothers of the Lord are married. And uh-oh, here comes... The Roman Catholics are about to get their fingers slammed in the door again. And Cephas, Cephas is Simon Peter. Peter was married. Peter allegedly was the first pope of the Roman Catholic Church. But wait, popes can't marry. Isn't it beautiful how subtle God is at destroying fortresses and speculation? Because there's no way Peter would be married if he was a pope. Peter was not the first pope of the Catholic Church. That's a lie. And I think we know the source of lies. But do we not have a right to take along a believing wife? Yeah, you do. Even as the rest of the apostles do. They were married. And the brothers of the Lord and Cephas. Yeah. 1 Corinthians 9, 6. Or do only Barnabas and I not have a right to refrain from working to support ourselves? What he's saying here is all the other apostles are getting supported by somebody financially. Barnabas and I are not. But don't we have a right to get supported by people that we're serving like you guys? Don't we have the right to get a check? And the answer is yes. He's saying, oh, so... All oh, those people can get a check, but we shouldn't get one? Is that what you're saying, you critics? 1 Corinthians 9, 7. Who at any time serves as a soldier as, at his own expense? Nobody. If you join one of the United States military academies, they give you three hots and a cot. They pay for your education. They train you. All of your expenses are paid. All of your military gear is paid. No one serves as a soldier at his own expense. He has a sponsor, in this case the United States government, and the United States government pays. They, they get a salary and they get their stuff. Who plants a vineyard and doesn't eat of the fruit of it? If you plant a vineyard, you're going to eat some grapes. And if you're smart... You're going to step on the grapes and put them in a barrel and let them 
relax for a couple of years, then you're going to drink of the vineyard. Amen? We got a whole city, Napa, California. There are a lot of people up there drinking on the grapes. Amen? Or who tends a flock and doesn't drink the milk of the flock? If you have sheep and they produce milk, you're going to drink the milk. You're not just going to sell it. 1 Corinthians 9, 8. I am not speaking these things according to human judgment, am I? I'm not just talking about what people think. Or doesn't the Mosaic law also say the same thing? The Mosaic law written by the Lord, God the Son, doesn't it say the same thing, that you have a right to drink from the milk, drink of the wine, eat of the fruit, get paid? 1 Corinthians 9, 9. For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle the ox to prevent it from eating grain while he is threshing grain. What does this mean? What is threshing grain? That, you know, and forgive me, Larry, because I'm going to say this and Larry's going to go, that's not what threshing grain is. <laughs> like, okay, man, I'm sorry about this. But ox, ox were, oxen were used to trample on grain so that there would be all the seeds of the grain would come out. And while they were doing it, they were eating some of it. And in the Mosaic Law says, it's okay if they eat some of it because they're doing the work. Just like it's okay for a pastor to dip his beak every once in a while. <laughs> you don't know dip his beak? Uh, it's like to get paid. It's okay for pastors to get paid too. And when God said this in the Mosaic Law, he wasn't concerned primarily about oxen, was he? He was talking about people. 1 Corinthians 9.10. Or is he speaking altogether for our sake? Yeah, for our sake it was written. Because the plowman has the right to plow in hope, and the thresher has the right to thresh in hope of partaking of the crops. Pastors should be able to get paid. As a matter of fact, the whole reason that saints are in a church, among other things, is to pay the pastor. But we have such a selfish viewpoint about that as human beings. We, we believers in Christ have such a selfish viewpoint about giving. Why? Because there are people who abuse gifts that are given. And so what we do when we're abused from giving a gift, we punish all the people who are not abusing us. And we punish them by not giving. Baran Ministries has so many closet listeners, it's not even funny. There are so many people that listen to this ministry, it's not even funny. And they don't contribute a penny. Why? Because they got something screwy going on in their head. And what's screwy that's going on in their head is the stuff that the flesh is putting in their head about how how it's it's going to be misused. This is one of the, the most financially stable ministries in the history of mankind. We have always paid all of our bills. We have always had a surplus to do what we, we want to do. That's how you know that the ministry is supported by God because if God doesn't like a ministry, he shuts it down. He just closes it. No more money. 1 Corinthians 9-11. If we sowed spiritual things in you as pastors, is it too much to ask if we reap material things from you? And of course, the answer is no. 1 Corinthians 9, 12. If others partake of this right over you, 
Shouldn't we do so all the more? There are people in your human realm who are getting paid by you. Shouldn't people in your spiritual realm be getting paid all the more? Nevertheless, and now here, so he's, he's built this great argument. Shouldn't I be able to get paid? What, am I the only one who shouldn't get paid? Don't I have rights? Yeah, I have rights. You believe me? You believe that, don't you, that I have rights? Yeah. Okay, now let me lay, let me lay the hard one on you. Nevertheless, we didn't use this right. We didn't get paid. We endure all things so that we will cause no hindrance to the gospel of Christ. Because there are a lot of people who think, oh, you're preaching so you can make money. No. Nobody in their right mind preaches so they can make money except those liars who are taking book deals and who are preaching the selfish prosperity gospel. You can be prosperous. The people who aren't bringing you in and telling you the truth about Christianity, yeah, you're going you're gonna to be fine financially, but you're going to get your butt kicked. That's what Christianity is all about. You're going to f- face a lot of tribulation. You're going to be treated unfairly all the time, and it's going to start in your family. <laughs> That's why there are empty seats in here. You know, people will come in here and they'll look around and say, wow, I mean, I, purple's pretty and everything, but they're not a lot of seats. What's going on? This, this must not be a good ministry because... All the good ministries have a lot of people. No, all the lying ministries have a lot of people because they're not saying anything that would be offensive to anybody. They're not preaching the word of God. What they're preaching is, we got a band. We got a divorce ministry. You can come up to the front and wave your arms around. (laughs) Oh, yeah, you you Pentecostals, you closet Pentecostals didn't think I was going to get you, did you? Yeah. June came up in here doing that at first. She's waving her hand. I said, quit that. Stop it. And she's dancing and stuff. Oh, please, not. All right, wave your hands. Don't dance. You can wave your hands now. That's it. Yeah, but that's not what's going on in here because what we're teaching in here is lessons. And what I'm telling you is this is what God is saying, and here's how it applies to me, the one who's supposed to be so amazing, and I'm not all that amazing, Now, how does it apply to you, asking you to apply it to yourself? So, Paul doesn't want to take money if it's going to hinder the gospel of Christ, even though it's his right to take money. 1 Corinthians 9.13 Do you not know that those who perform sacred services eat of the food of the temple, and those who attend regularly to the altar have their share from the altar? Don't you know that? 1 Corinthians 9.14, so also the Lord directed as an established and absolute fact, directed those who proclaim the gospel to get their living from the gospel. (laughs) Did you hear me? (laughs) Blew my gun off and put it in my pocket. Now, what we're going to do next week is we're going to go into the depth of this passage Because what Paul is doing is using this as an example of people who have rights and choose not to exercise them. And that's what mature people do. What do mature people do? Being mature demands that you make an unfair sacrifice. Parenting is an unfair sacrifice. Being married is an unfair unfair sacrifice. Right? Because it's hard. It's not easy. 
All right, so we'll look forward to beginning our study of this passage next week. When we return from the five-minute break, we'll take the offering, and then we will celebrate the Lord's Supper. Five-minute break. Why you ever chose me has always been a mystery. My life, I've been told I belong at the end of the line. With all the other not quite, will all the never get it right. But it turns out they're the ones you were looking for all this time. Cause I'm just a nobody, We're trying to tell everybody We're all about somebody who saved my soul. Since you rescued me, you gave my heart a song to sing. I'm living for the world to see nobody but Jesus. I'm living for the world to see nobody but Jesus. When Moses had stage fright, and David brought a rock to a sword fight, you picked 12 outsiders nobody would have chosen, and you changed the world. Well, the moral of the story is Everybody's got a purpose So when I hear that devil start talking to me Saying, who do you think you are? I say, I'm, I'm just a nobody
Welcome back. Today's Bible lesson, Maturity Demands Unfair Sacrifice. Maturity Demands Unfair Sacrifice. Well, today my prayer is that God the Holy Spirit opens your heart with a spirit of generosity. It's my sincere hope that he gives you a burning desire to provide your treasure as the means of distributing the gospel message throughout, through this ministry so that it can be enjoyed by all around the world. Let's welcome up Deacon Denny Goodall with the offering message. Oops. Good morning. My name is Denny Goodall, and I'm blessed to be a deacon for Bra Ministries. Bra Ministries is a worldwide Christian church. We are real people who come to listen to a real pastor, teach the real truth from the Word of God. And lately I've been, you know, we were talking about idols, and I was thinking about idols. They're, they're kind of stubborn things in our lives. It's like a stubborn habit in our lives. And then I realize I'm surrounded by two little stubborn kids <laughs> that never do what you want them to do, unless it's something they love to do. But if it's brush your teeth and go to bedtime... Elle can think of anything. She can think of 50 things to do. I, I got to brush my teeth. I got to go to the bathroom. I need my toy. I got to hug my brother. I need a kiss from my brother. I need a kiss from you. I need a hug from you. I need a prayer. I need a story. But she says Tori because she can't say S words. So it's like Tori. I need a Tori. She's adorable, but she's so stubborn. And I was just thinking how we're stubborn from our birth. Babies are stubborn. We're stubborn. I think we get more stubborn as we get older. And you think about it like, a nail and a piece of wood, trying to get a nail out of a piece of wood. It's stubborn. It's not going to come out of there. And that's, that's what we are. I think that's what we turn into. Um, it's like pulling weeds in the yard. It's, it's just nothing wants to come out. You pull it a little bit and it stays. And you've know, got to get it by the roots. And, you know, it's just like our habits. They just stick with us. And they just they kind of ruin our lives. And, you know, it's, it's the Israelites did it. They turned their back on God, too. That's really what stubbornness is. It's turning your back on God, and he has a plan for our life, and we kind of turn our back on his God, on our God. And I, I think it's kind of a, maybe it's a bold thing I'm going to say, but really stubbornness is almost as bad as murder because you're murdering yourself. You kill yourself by not going with God's plan, by saying no to a, to a choice or to a free gift. And so really, I mean, pe- people just talk about stubbornness like it's funny, stubborn like an ass, but being an ass is really stupid for your spiritual life and for others. And, you know, it's, it's, I think it's part of the reason that we are stubborn to engage our spiritual gifts because we know there's a lot of work on the line and there's going to be some sacrifice, so let's just be stubborn and not do it. And I think it happens at the offering. Let's just be stubborn and not give. Oh, I, don't, I don't ever give, so I just support you with prayer. <laughs> but, you know... <laughs> I just think it's, you know, it's funny because it, 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 it's not something that is new. And being stubborn is not like a, it's not a very good plan for your life, I try to tell my kids. It's like everybody's born stubborn. Everybody's going to be stubborn. So what are you going to get? Just everybody's button heads. You're not going to get anywhere in life. And so I was looking in the Bible and, you know, you look through Acts and it talks about the apostles and a lot of things they did. And um, Stephen, who was accused by the Sanhedrin, falsely accused, I think, by the Sanhedrin, was brought before a court and was defending himself, kind of like Donald Trump, you know, a public lie, people believe it. So he was defending himself against false allegations. 
because he was speaking out, telling the gospel of Jesus Christ, and which was a you know something you shouldn't do at the time. And so we see in Acts chapter seven verse fifty one, you men who are stiff necked and uncircumcised, uncircumcised, both in heart and in ears, are always resisting the Holy Spirit. You are doing just as your fathers did. So it's interesting. We're kind of repeating the process over and over again. Israelites did it. They turned their back on God many times. They were stubborn to do the plan. So are we. So let's just not be stubborn. Let's just be different. Um, And then, you know, I was going to read it in the New Living Translation. I think it says it pretty well. It says, You stubborn people, you are heathen at heart and deaf to the truth. Must you forever resist the Holy Spirit? That's what your ancestors did, and so do you. It's crazy. We're stubborn, so let's not be stubborn. Let's give. Let's help other people. Let's sacrifice. I, I know it's simple, but let's bring other people out of the dark. And that's it's kind of you know intimidating task. But Stephen ultimately was martyred. He was stoned to death after this. You know, and what do we get when we speak out? Blocked on Facebook? Oh well, you know I think it's worth it. It's worth giving a little bit of truth here and there. So. I think if, you know, if you're ready for, for more than just color by number and you want truth, you should, you should give to Barah Ministries. You should, you should support Pastor Rory. And so, I mean, I'm really speaking, I'm maybe the one that wants to get paid. If it took him 19 years to get paid, what, what kind of hope do I have? Like, geez, I got this free jacket, I guess. <laughs> so, give, give to a poor deacon, you know, like Stephen. He was killed for it. I just, I just get up here and look like an ass myself, but I love you guys, and I I love this church, and I know that Christ loves us and loves this church, and so we don't have anything to be scared of or worried about, really. I mean, it's going to creep in, but let's just not be stubborn and go back to God. So thank you very much for your consistent giving, and hit it, Larry.
back. Next is the Lord's Supper celebration at the cross. The Lord Jesus Christ obliterated worry. The Lord Jesus Christ obliterated worry. Well, Deacon Denny, there's a lot of wisdom in your messages. Uh, Today, uh, the thing that struck me is the idea of an actual financial contribution versus prayer for the ministry. And last month, I tried something. And I just wanted to report it. So it was time to pay the rent, and the rent is $2,200 a month. And so I went to the landlord, and I gave him a check for $500, and then I gave him 17 prayers <laughs> for the ministry. And I told him that I think each one of these prayers is worth 100 bucks, And he didn't say anything. And so it just became uncomfortable, and I said, so you want the other 17 <laughs> 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 Slid him the seventeen hundred check and went on about my business. <laughs> Strangest thing about landlords, they want the cash. Amen? Amen. Yeah, prayers are awesome, but they wanted cash. Yeah, it's like uh what was that? There's a, a saying, something like, Your credit's good, but cash pays the rent or something like that. In God we trust, but all others pay cash. All right, so at the cross the Lord Jesus Christ obliterated worry. Welcome to the Lord's Supper celebration. The most intimate expression of our love for the Lord Jesus Christ in the Christian way of living. The Lord demonstrates his desire for a deep, intimate, and personal relationship with his believers by creating a way to keep on sharing his body and his blood with us, just as he did with his apostles on the night before his death. Luke chapter 22, verses 14 to 16 say this, When the hour had come and his crucifixion was near, The Lord Jesus Christ reclined at the Passover table, and his apostles reclined with him. Luke 22, 15, And the Lord said to the apostles, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover meal with you before I suffer. Luke 22, 16, For I, the Lord Jesus Christ, say to you that I shall never again eat this Passover meal until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God the Father. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26, the apostle says on behalf of the Lord, as often as you eat this bread, representing his body, and as often as you drink this cup, representing his blood, as part of the Lord's Supper celebration, you proclaim as a reality and you announce the significance of the Lord Jesus Christ's death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead until he comes again at the second coming. The Lord's Supper celebration is a time when we resident members of this congregation join hands through the miles with our non-resident members and we demonstrate our unity by remembering our Lord together. This is a celebration for which we set aside time. We do not do this on the move. During the Lord's Supper celebration, Jesus wants his believers to look back to the cross for a moment. So in your mind's eye, see the cross for a moment. And he wants us to remember how he rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his light. He wants us to remember the sacrifice of shedding his blood to cover our sins. He wants us to remember the deliverance to the resurrection life that he orchestrated, bringing us into that kingdom of light. And most of all, the Lord wants his believers to look forward with anticipation that he is coming again. As believers in Christ, when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we ask ourselves in reflection, 
what did the Lord Jesus Christ do for us at the cross? And if we study this every day for a million years, we would always come up with something new that he did for us at the cross. And this month we acknowledge that at the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ obliterated worry. Well, what is worry? Worry is the tormenting of self with anxieties. It's the tormenting of ourselves with anxiety. Suffering from disturbing and manufactured thoughts. 95% of the things we worry about never come true. It's to fret. It's a feeling of uneasiness. It's a fear of trouble, whether real or imagined. It's the feeling of being under constant threat. Your body is under constant red alert when you worry. Well, what are some of the things we worry about? Here are the top ten things Google says we worry about. We worry about work, money, being late, a friend or relative's health, our health, relationships, missing a plane or bus. Ah, so good to worry about that again. Not waking up to our alarm, our appearance, our family's safety. What effect does worry have on us? We get anxiety. We panic. We get a feeling of impending doom. We never see ourselves as the star in the movie. When we worry, we never see ourselves as star in the movie. We always think that it's not going to go well for us. We create fears in the, case, in, in, in the form of what's the worst case scenario. We never think of the best case scenario. Hey, if, if I do this, what's the best thing that could happen? We don't think about that. Worry robs us of focus, and it takes away our ability to think because it brings along a companion with it, fear. Worry causes a debilitating reaction in our body that makes us tired and sad. Fatigue is the number one benefit of worry. If you're sleepy, just start worrying. You'll be sleeping about 15 minutes. <laughs> you will completely drain yourself of energy. Worry triggers a host of health problems that are too numerous to mention. Among them, rapid breathing, headaches, and irritability. It's so funny to me playing golf and how much worry there is in golf. And even if you don't play golf, you can relate to this. Because when you go up to the tee box and you look down, the whole course is designed to deceive you. So in, in that way, it's very much like life. And so you will see a big pile of sand, and most people, being negative, call them sand traps. It's designed to trap me, which, but it's really called a bunker. And then they'll see water, and then they'll see all the bushes and things where you don't want the ball to go. And they think, I don't want the ball to go in any of those, those hazards, but the mind doesn't hear don't. So when you say, I don't want it to go on those hazards, you might as well just pick up the ball and throw it in the hazard because that's exactly where it's going. I was playing a golf course recently called Acatillo, and I call it Yipatillo because there's a lot of water on it. And so a friend of mine goes up to the first tee, and there's just a lot of water here. Now, he's got a driver, so there's no way that the ball's going to go 10 feet and into the water because the driver's designed to hit it 240 yards. And he hits drivers pretty well. So he goes up and he looks and he sees the water. He goes back to his bag and he takes out a lousy ball. 
and puts it on the tee. Why did he put the lousy ball on the tee? So if it goes in the water, he doesn't have the new one. So you know what I did? I went up to the, to the ball. I threw it in the water. I said, go get your other ball and hit the ball. Because that's where it's going. There's no, no need to worry. And that's what we're like. We're always worried that we're going to fall into the traps, the obstacles. But when you set a beautiful objective, the first thing that pops up is all the obstacles to see if you're worthy of what you want to do. I want to make, ah, obstacle, 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 obstacle. If you start seeing those instead of what you want to do, that's exactly what's going to happen, the obstacles. And this is not just some Jedi mind trick. It's the truth. If you don't expect a positive outcome, you're not going to get one. Well, worry triggers a host of health problems. It's something that you should stay away from. But you're free to worry. You have freedom. When you have freedom, you can do anything you want to do. Yet 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23 tells the true story of freedom. It says, all things are lawful, but all things don't edify. Yeah, you're free to worry. That's fine. But that doesn't mean it builds you up. Worry does not build you up. Worry tears you down. If you worry enough, can you stop the bad things you're worried about from happening? No. We're living in a time where worry is rampant. The people around you are worried. People are wondering, when are we going to return to normal? (coughs) Never. (laughs) As you hear people around you express their worry about these unprecedented times, you know, that thing that we're learning to parrot daily, we're in unprecedented times. That's a bunch of crap. The world's been through this stuff so many times, it's not even funny. There's nothing new. It may be unprecedented for us, but it's not unprecedented for the world. Emperors used to set Christians on fire in the public square, and then when they would ask, why did you do that? It was Nero. Why did you do that? They said they're the light of the world. (laughs) That's not happening today. So we're, we're ahead. But worry is rampant, and people are wondering when we're going to return to normal. Well, when you hear all that crap being parroted, social distancing, shelter in place, stay safe, stay healthy, unprecedented times, are you joining the pity party by manufacturing worry in your soul about things you can't control? Yeah, you are. Cut it out. One of our biggest worries is what God thinks of us. See, that's what Satan manufactures in us. He wants us to think God's disappointed with us, that our salvation's on the line. Maybe we'll get to heaven and maybe we won't. That's false. If you believe in Christ, you have eternal security. God has never been disappointed with you. He loves you unconditionally. There's no mistake you've made that God hasn't forgiven. God gives you the grace to make more mistakes because he knows that's the way people learn. But we don't think that way. Well, the cross made it clear that there's nothing to worry about in the matter of God. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24 says this, The Lord Jesus Christ himself bore our sins in his own body on the cross 
so that we might die to the sovereignty of sin and so that we might live to the righteousness of the resurrection life. For by Jesus' wounds, you were healed. Worry is a sin. And at the cross, the Lord obliterated all of our sins and specifically the sin of worry. And he calms us with these thoughts from the word. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 14. Even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, and of course you do, you are blessed. And do not worry about the world's intimidation. And do not be troubled. Joshua chapter 1, verse 9. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. June's raising her hand because she wrote a song about that. Have I not commanded you to be strong and courageous? Please, da da da, da 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 da. What's that song? Fear Not? Yeah, yeah I, that's going to be the first song next week, I guarantee you. <laughs> Psalm. 94:19 when my worrying thoughts multiply within me and that's what happens they multiply you start one worried thoughts and it starts to multiply it doesn't become additional it becomes multiplied it becomes exponential when my worrying thoughts multiply within me your consolations delight my soul what's his consolations the word calm down Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 7 and 8 says this, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose trust is the Lord. Jeremiah 17, 8. For this man will be like a tree planted by the water that extends its roots by a stream. And the tree does not fear when the heat comes, but its leaves will be green and the tree will not be anxious in a year of drought, nor will it cease to yield fruit. That's a cactus. That's the cactus that God's talking about right there. Amen? God loves everything in Phoenix, including us. Amen? (laughs) By the way, Denise is getting so excited about all these verses because they're from the Old Testament. (laughs) Amen, brother. I knew the Old Testament was for us. No, it's not. It's for Israel. Let's get back to the New Testament. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Stop worrying about anything. Instead, in everything, by prayer and petition with an attitude of thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God the Father. And the peace of God the Father, which surpasses all comprehension, is more than you could ever imagine, will garrison, provides a wall of protection for your hearts and your minds, flooding your souls with peace. Who? You who are in union with Christ Jesus. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30. Come to me, all who are weary laden with worry, all who are weary and heavy laden with worry, and I will give you rest. Matthew eleven twenty nine. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. What is a yoke? A yoke is a device that two animals get in. So when he says, take my yoke upon you, you put on your half. Who's in the other half? Who? Jesus, yeah. And who do you think's carrying the heavier part? (laughs) It ain't you. He's carrying the heavy part. Matthew 11.30, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
Psalm 23, verses 1 to 4. You've heard this psalm a whole lot of times at funerals, but you've never heard it translated properly. Believe me. Psalm 23, verses 1 and 4. The Lord is the one who keeps on shepherding me, and therefore I can't lack anything. You always hear shepherd as a noun instead of a verb. It's a verb. The Lord is the one who keeps on shepherding me all throughout forever. And therefore, because he is my shepherd and I am his sheep, I can't lack anything. Do you hear me? You can't lack anything. So if you have lack in your life, it's your creation, not his. Psalm 23, 4, even when I walk through my very own death-shadowed valley, I cannot fear you with me. When we die as believers in Christ, we get a personal escort from the Lord Jesus Christ to heaven. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. What is the rod for? What's the staff for? A shepherd has a rod and a staff. And the rod is to beat that butt, right? Because shepherds are always getting themselves in trouble. And the, the staff is to beat the butt. The rod is to pull them out of trouble because they're always falling off the cliff. He grabs them and rescues them from falling off the cliff. That's what God does for you. And notice, those things comfort me. God is not a punishing God. He's a comforting God. Colossians. Chapter 3, verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, the body of Christ. He is the head, we are the body. And be thankful for the peace of Christ. Psalm 55, verse 23, I'm sorry, Psalm 55, verse 22, cast your burden upon the Lord, slam it on his back like a sumo wrestler slams an opponent. Slam your burdens on the Lord and he will sustain you. And he will never allow the righteous, and the righteous are believers in Christ, to be shaken. He will never allow us to be shaken. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 25. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs it down, but a good word makes it glad. Think about that when you're th thinking about all those people in your periphery. Don't be critics. Be edifiers. Psalm 56, verse 3. When I am afraid. I will put my trust in you. Nothing else you can do. When you're afraid, you're not thinking, so you might as well just give your trust to the Lord. So when you are inclined to worry, just take a look at the cross. Remember what the Lord did there to obliterate your worry and your concerns. A person who dies for you has everything else in your life covered as well. Rest in him and know that he considers your problems to be his responsibility. Well, let's enjoy the elements. Let's remember Jesus in the way he told us to remember him. Obeying our Lord's command, we keep on celebrating Christ and his cross on a regular basis. We eat to remember who he is as a person, and we drink to remember his work on the cross, the voluntary sacrifice he made to deliver us. And we remember with gratitude what God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ have done to save us. Matthew chapter 26, verses 26 to 28 say this. When they were eating, Jesus took some bread, and after a blessing, he broke it. And then he gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is being broken for you. 
And when he had taken the cup and given thanks, Jesus gave the cup to them and said, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood, the blood of the New Testament, a new covenant, blood that is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So let's listen to the Lord. Let's keep on eating this bread. Let's keep on drinking this cup. And let's do both to remember him. Let's keep on being transformed by his life, by his death, by his burial, by his resurrection from the dead, and by his word. James 1.17 says, Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from God the Father, the one in control of the heavenly lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. Let's enjoy the elements as we listen to the Lord's Supper song. All good gifts. We plow the fields and scatter the good seed on the land. But it is fed and watered by God's almighty hand. He sends the snow in winter, the warmth to swell the grain. The breezes and the sunshine and soft, refreshing rain. All good gifts are around us. Sent from heaven above. Then thank the Lord, oh, thank the Lord for all his
to how amazing our Lord is. Well, the closing moments of our lesson are the most important part of our lesson because we have a message for you that should resonate deeply into your soul. And the message is God wants you. And so first and foremost, this message is for the benefit of believers in Christ. First Peter chapter 3, verse 15 says this, Believers, sanctify Christ as the Lord in your heart. Set him apart as deity in your heart. Always be ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that is in you. Hope being the absolute confidence provided by your faith in Christ. And give the defense with gentleness and respect. And second, this message is for unbelievers so that you can be saved. Because whether you know it or not, you were born a sinner. And that's bad news for you. Sinners need a savior. The good news is that this gospel message offers you the chance to make the most important decision of your life, the one outlined in Acts chapter 16, verse 31. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and everyone in your household who also believes. And you would never want it to be true that someone in your household did not believe. So here are seven things for you to consider if you're seeking a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ or if you know someone who may be seeking a relationship with the Lord. Point number one, there is a God and he is the creator of the heavens and the earth. The first four words of the Bible confirm his existence. Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 says this, in the beginning, God. (laughs) In the beginning, not a beginning. God. God has always existed. There never will be a time that he doesn't exist. He has been there from the beginning. He'll be there in the end, even though there is no end. And God isn't shy at all about telling you who he is in his word. Joel chapter 2 verse 27 says this, I am the Lord your God and there is no other God. Gods with small g are just like idols. They don't exist. God is your creator. John chapter 1 verse 3 says this, All things came into being through the Lord God the Son, and apart from him nothing came into being that has come into being. There is a God. Point two, the creator created you. You are one of God's masterpieces. You are one of God's creatures, and he had a purpose in mind when he created you. Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 said this, Then God the Father said, Let us, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, make man in our image. Let us make man according to our likeness. You are a spiritual being, and as such, you require a spiritual life. Point three, God has a plan for all mankind. Why? Because God is organized. Acts chapter 2, verse 23 tells us that the earth and the universe were created by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God the Father. God doesn't do anything by accident. Everything is carefully intentional and carefully calculated, all of it for your benefit. God made all of his decisions in eternity past, and we watch them unfold every day. Point four, God has a personal plan for you. Because God created you, God knows you intimately. He knows you by name. He accepts you. He accepts everything you are and everything you are not. Matthew chapter 10, verse 30 says, The very hairs on your head are all numbered. God custom-made you, 
and he custom-made a life designed specifically for you. Point five, God reveals himself in ways that make sense to human beings. And what kind of God would he be if that was not true? God wants you to get to know him. He is not hiding from you. He is not hard to get to know. Romans chapter 1, verse 20 says this, Since the creation of the world, the Lord's invisible attributes, his eternal power, and his deity keep on being clearly seen by everyone, being understood even through what has been made as reflected in the things of nature. If you've gone to the Grand Canyon, you know there is a God. If you've gone to Sedona, you know there is a God. If you look in the sky and see that beautiful sun every day, you know there is a God. Every time it rains, you know there is a God because every time you see stars, you know it's a God because this God is amazing at all the things he keeps from happening. He keeps stars from colliding with each other. He keeps things from hitting the earth that would damage us. He suppresses the opportunity for somebody to press a button and wipe out the planet, which is never going to happen until he does it. So since the creation of the world, the Lord's invisible attributes, his eternal power, and his deity keep on being clearly seen by everyone, being understood even through what has been made, as reflected in the things of nature, so that all mankind are without excuse in the matter of knowing the existence of the Lord. Well, what if they didn't know? They know. God doesn't work in mysterious ways. God does not work in mysterious ways. He works in entirely predictable ways. He's a very present help in times of trouble. Point six, God has an enemy, Satan, who does not want you to get to know God. Satan does everything he can to keep you ignorant about God, to keep you misinformed about God, to keep you having a goofy opinion about God. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4 says this, The God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel, so that they might not see the glory of Christ, who is the exact reflection of God the Father. When somebody is distorting your viewpoint about somebody else, you don't see their light. You see the lie that's festering inside. Yeah, but what if it was this? Are you aware of the ways that Satan is lying to you about God? Point seven, you owe God a hearing. Since God created you and gives you breath and sustains you on this earth, you at least owe him a hearing. And what he's done for you is he has placed a desire inside of you to know what is beyond yourself and what is beyond this life that is visible to you. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 11 says this, The Lord has made everything appropriate in its time. He has also set a desire for a knowledge of eternity in everyone's heart. Do you spend any of your time, your 168 hours a week, your 112 waking hours a week, getting to know your God? Well, there's nothing more important for you in this life than a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. John chapter 1, verse 12 says this, Whosoever receives him, to them the Lord Jesus Christ gave the right to become children of God the Father, even to those who believe in Jesus Christ's name. So Acts 16, 31, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and everyone in your household who also believes. But heed the warning in John chapter 3, verse 36. He who believes in the Son has eternal life, the resurrection life, right at that moment. 
But he who does not obey the command to believe in the Son will not see the resurrection life. Instead, the wrath of God, the lake of fire, abides on him. Hey, believers in Christ, if I asked you this question, do you possess the resurrection life? Do you possess eternal life right at this moment? What, what would you say? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How you like me now? Huh? Tell me. <laughs> I love that. I love that. You're walking around. You're going to leave here, and you're going to walk around in the street, and you have the resurrection life, and nobody looking at you knows it, but you do. Isn't that awesome? So exciting. And what does it mean? That when you close your eyes in this life, you're going to open your eyes face-to-face with the Lord. It's so cool. What are you worried about? So consider these things. And then get to know the Lord today. Do it now. All right, closing song. God loves you unconditionally. It's a fact. First John chapter 3, verse 1 says this. Can you get that microphone, girlfriend? <laughs> it looked like a struggle. John chapter 3, verse 1 says this. See how great and unconditional love God the Father has bestowed on us believers in Christ, that we would be called children of God the Father. And so we are children of God the Father. And for this reason, the world doesn't know us because it didn't know him. If only the world knew what June Murphy sings from God's perspective to all mankind. You don't have to beg me to love you. Take it away, June. Tell them about it. You're no stranger to me All you've done All you'll do I've known an eternity Dying on the cross for you Was planned before your first breath To prove how much I love you I will never love you less You don't have to beg me to love you I don't need a bribe to make me stay My thoughts are higher than your thoughts My ways are higher too My love's not the love 
taken from you. You don't have to beg me to love you. I don't need a bribe to make me stay. You don't have to beg me to love you. You can never So a couple things. Uh, my uncle Callie died this week, and he was the the last of my mom's generation. And he died at 98 years old. And so, um, you know, it's kind of a, you know, it's one of those times where you realize you're next up, right? So <laughs> I was talking to my, uh, my cousin, and... Uh, I told him that, uh, you know, now that that generation's gone, we're the next group. And I said, it's going to be really sad when I get that call that you've gone home to be with the Lord, but just know that I'll see you a little later. And I said, when I get that call, I'm going to say, Harold's gone to the Lord? Oh, man, I liked him. That vegetable-eating mother. (laughs) He just became a vegetarian because he wants to beat me. You know, he wants to live more years than I do. He doesn't have any chance of doing that. 
because I'm going to be the oldest. I'm going to be the last guy of my generation, so I guess that's kind of why I'm a little wistful about Uncle Kelly, because he was the last guy of his generation. I'm going to be the last and oldest guy of the family and my generation, so it's okay. And for those of you who always ask about how June is, uh, that's a pretty miraculous thing, too, because we've gone from seeing June uh, about six months, a year ago, to down goes Fraser. You know, she's falling down, <laughs> like, every two minutes at church. She's falling down and stuff like that. Well, the drugs have kicked in, <laughs> and she's back to her old self again. She's walking around, wearing dresses, not pants, you know, so we got to see those legs that have never had any sun, and just so... I am so happy and so grateful to have witnessed what God is able to do in your life over that period of time. It's just an amazing thing, isn't it? Yeah. So she's pretty good. She's still got her walker, and I want her to keep that because she's kind of, she likes falling a lot. So, but we, wanna, we want her to keep doing that. But our, our God is an amazing God. That's all I have to say. And if you don't see that, if you don't see what he does over and over and over again, when things are horrible for us and he completely turns them around, if you don't see that, you're missing it. You've got to look because every one of us in here is hurting about something. We're hurting about stuff. You know, we're not getting treated like we should be treated. We don't have the career we want. We're not making the money we want to make. We don't have the relationships we want to have. There's something that's hurting. And whatever that is, God's going to turn it around. He always does. So exciting. And that's why I love him so much, because I just love watching what he's able to do. So you just need to relax and be patient and just assume that if he hasn't fixed it yet, he just wants you to relax in him. Rest in him. So let's close with a doxology of praise to our God. And a doxology is a song of praise to our God. Stop worrying about anything. Instead, in everything by prayer and petition, with an attitude of thanksgiving, and I might add, with an attitude of expectation, let your requests be made known to God the Father. And the peace of God the Father, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds, flooding your souls with peace, you who are in union with Christ Jesus. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, that almighty Lord Jesus Christ, and the one who is able to make you stand in the presence of his glory blameless with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through, through our union with Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Let us pray. Almighty God and Father, we just are so grateful to watch what we call miracles and what you call a routine day at the office. We're so grateful that you know us personally. We're so grateful that you know us intimately and you know where it hurts. And you've got your almighty hand on that place that hurts, your almighty and healing hand. We, you've got your almighty and delivering arms wrapped around us. And we know with absolute confidence and absolute certainty that you are always going to give us the victory because we're in union with your son. And so we just pray that you help us to have the courage to get our eyes off of ourselves, 
and to put our eyes on others and to invite others to that same privilege. We ask this through the power of God the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, say it with me. Amen. Amen. Thanks for coming. Thanks for watching. And thanks for listening.